if people look at if, if the human body is a is a machine right a, in a highly functioning machine you have to ask yourself what is it that will stress that machine the most in the shortest amount of time and not overstress it so that i can overcompensate and be better the next day those exercises tend to be the exercises that people don't want to do because they are very hard. <laughs> so yeah. this is why you have people running on treadmills and you know doing uh, bicep curls and, and things like that that may be quote unquote fun to do, but they're not as effective as say deadlifts and dips and overhead presses and heavy carries mm -hmm. uh, and, and things of that nature. Those are very, very difficult to do and they're also very, very effective. Do you want to know what it is? Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment Podcast. I'm your host, Seamlands, and our guest today is Keith Norris. Keith is a personal trainer, speaker, and entrepreneur from Austin, Texas. He's also a co-founder of PaleoFX, which is one of the largest health and nutrition events in the US. Before we begin the conversation with Keith, I want to let you know that I'm going to be speaking at the upcoming PaleoFX in 2020. They're actually having a special free VIP giveaway. You can get two VIP badges to PaleoFX, two round-trip flights to Austin, and accommodation for three nights. That's up to $5,000 worth of value, and you can also get to meet me, including all the other amazing speakers. So, check out the show notes of this episode at seamland.com forward slash Keith Norris. And there you can also find a 35% discount code for the event, which lasts only until the end of this year. But for now, let's get to the show with Keith Norris. Keith, welcome to the show. Seem, man, it's, uh, the last time I saw you was in London for health optimization. Very, very cool, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was a great event and I'm glad to see that you're, you're not only like spreading your wings in uh, the States, but also coming to Europe. So <laughs> really, really, yeah. uh, really appreciate it for being a part of the event and definitely it was uh, very well organized for the first year. Yeah, that was a really, really good show and we were happy the way it came off. And like you said, for a first year show, um, anybody who's been in the, uh, the event business um, like I have for almost 10 years now, um, it, it's see right first year shows are, are tough to pull off that's why there's very very few year two shows <laughs> because they are so hard to pull off yeah that's that's true so you've been running PLFX for you know quite a few quite a few years already so that you know it shows that you have seen great success from it and uh, but before we get into that can you tell us a bit of a, like a background you know how did you get into personal training and when did you start organizing a PLFX? Right. So uh, just the uh, just the short bio for me. So I was a lifelong athlete, um, have been training for athletics since I was 11 years old. Um, and was lucky enough wow. to have some of the uh, the best coaches around in the, the sports that I played. And um, early on, that was track and field. I was a I was a sprinter early on. Got picked up by a um, a youth organization in the U.S. that is uh, called AAU. Mm -hmm. uh, amateur athletics union and uh which is a a feeder to the uh to the uh junior olympics program mm -hmm. um and that's it and that at that time this was in the 70s uh mid 70s the feeder for the u.s olympic teams so um so yeah so was you know at a, a good enough sprinter at an early age to be uh to be picked up by by uh, those organizations um and did very, very well <clears throat> in track and field, mostly, uh, you know, sprint events. Um, but as I, as I matured, I matured into this, uh, this frame that was a lot thicker, <laughs> right? So, um, so wasn't a natural sprinter, but was still fast and uh, parlayed that, that uh, quickness um, in, a, in a big body size into American football. Um, played American football for many years, uh, played throughout college. And uh, at that point, I went into the military. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I always retained that love of training and, you know, what it took to make athletes better. For whatever reason, I just really, really um, had an affinity for that. And I wanted, to, I wanted to learn more at a very, very early age about how different styles of training 
could have different effects on the human body and how different diets could have different effects on the human body. Mm -hmm. uh, This was all very, very interesting to me. And it it, it has remained a lifelong interest, even though, you know, I went into the military and then I went into, um, of all things, I worked for uh, Big Pharma (laughs) for many years. (laughs) Um, So I got to see the, uh, you know, the dark side or the the belly of the beast in in that industry uh, before I, um, you know, jumped out and became an entrepreneur. So, and, and, and again, always, um, you know, the, the human development training that has always been a, a subject that I've always wanted to deep dive into. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's very fascinating to see, you know, the human body itself is this, uh, constant adaptation machine and, uh, it does, it's, it's able to adapt to like almost any type of stimulus that you throw at it, like whether that be, you know, being fast and being good at sprinting or, you know, transitioning over into more like weightlifting and uh, strength sports, it kind of, it's amazing to see that the body is yeah, like really quick to adapt and it kind of reflects almost like your own physique reflects what you do on a daily basis. So to say that if you it are, <laughs> if you are sedentary, if you're not exercising, you're eating junk food, then yeah, it's going to show and it's definitely going to have like a powerful impact on your uh, health. Right. And you know, as I, as I began to, you know, understand more and become more educated on this, of course, at a young age, you know, I, I really didn't have access. And at, at that time there wasn't that information on the difference between genetics and epigenetics. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would just see the results of different training protocols and how that affected certain individuals. And, uh, you know, it really laid, laid the uh, groundwork for me to understand that, that genetics does play a big part, of course, especially in um, very, very competitive athletics. You have to have a, a particular genetic predisposition for whatever sport that you uh, want to gravitate towards, but the epigenetic piece of it, you know, is huge. Mm. Um, and that, you know, and then the two together, you know, if you're lucky enough, you, um, you gravitate to sports that you're genetically predisposed to. And on top of that, you layer on um, proper training, you know, uh, a proper epigenetic environment. And uh, that those two things combined with attitude, and drive and all of the mental aspects that are required um that's what makes a superior athlete yeah that's i definitely agree uh so um you know like you said you're you're a pretty jacked guy <laughs> and so i want to <laughs> like to stay that way I, you know i try to stay that way yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh like how does your training look like nowadays then and diet you know it's um it, it's a world different from when i was a competitive athlete um so the the time that I have to devote to training now is a fraction of the time that I had to devote to training when I was a competitive athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I'm a lot smarter now, and so I know, you know, I know the uh, the quote unquote big bang movements that I need to do. In other words, those movements that get the most um, the most return out of the time investment. Mm-hmm. And so just over the years, I've I've whittled whittled it down, whittled it down, and whittled it down until like today i just did a 30 minute workout right i ran into the gym very little warm-up and and just dove right into it and i can tell you that other people in the gym around me are just kind of like what the fuck is this doing he's a maniac but i i mean if you only have 30 minutes to train you do not have time to mess around right you have got to you've got to to jump in get the work done and get out um and most of my workouts now are that way. Very few of them are, are greater than 40, 45 minutes mm-hmm. just because I'm under a co- time constraint because I have so much else going on in my life. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and I think that you, you will find in training that, uh, you know, it works on the, the Prieto principle or the 80-20 rule that uh, the most bang for the buck, the 80% return comes from the 20% of exercises you do. And that 20% of time that's invested, that's where 80% of the returns come from. If you do it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm not a competitive athlete anymore. I just like to look good naked and I like to be healthy and you know, the, these types of things. So I can get away with that 80% and still like you say, be a Jack dude and walk around at 55 feeling like I'm 30 Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these types of things, because I emphasize those, uh, you know, that 80%. If I was a competitive athlete and I have trained competitive athletes and when I was competitive, 
I had to put in an exponential amount of time to get the little one and 2% increases in my ability. Mm-hmm. And that's just the trade off. If you want to be a competitive athlete, you have to devote the time to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Like, you know, it's not necessarily the amount of hours you put into the workout. It's the definitely the quality of those hours. And uh, yeah, some, some exercises are more, you know, uh, inducive of muscle growth and improved body composition, whereas others are just, you know, making you spin your wheels. And you can definitely right. see like, you can definitely see like, you know, uh, dozens and dozens of people, most people, they spend, you know, hours on the treadmill and they're doing a lot of, they're putting a lot of effort, but they don't look like they work out or they don't see any actual progress. So what are, right. maybe, what are some of the maybe pitfalls uh, people tend to fall in with if they don't have like any, you know, actual knowledge about, uh, you know, improving body composition and lifting weights? Well, I, I can tell you, Seem, I have a new appreciation for this. So I, um, when I was a competitive athlete, I obviously had access to uh, to school and university uh, weight rooms that were dedicated to athletes, right? And when I went in military, kind of the same thing, dedicated gyms. Um, when I when I worked for Big Pharma, um, at the same time, I was also helping coach a um, in a strength and conditioning sense. I was helping coach um, a university football and volleyball teams. So, it, and then after that, I owned my own gyms. Mm-hmm. So I've always had access to my own places, right? And where serious athletes trained. Um, and it's only been in the last year and a half, I've, I've sold my gyms because um, it, it's a time thing. Paleo FX just really took off and I didn't have time to manage a gym and a, a, a series of gyms and do Paleo FX too. So I, I, it broke my heart, but I, I, had to, uh, I had to sell out of my gyms. All of that said... I um, started going to a commercial gym here in here in Austin, which is fine. It's right by my house. It's very very convenient, and it works for me. But I can tell you, seem the things I see being done in that gym are are horrendous. <laughs> I have to I have to wear blinders when I go in there to not like just freak out. <laughs> um, there, there's so many misconceptions when it comes to lifting weights and and what is optimal for the human body. And I think that if, if people look at, if, at the human body as a, as a machine, right, a, in a highly functioning machine, you have to ask yourself, what is it that will stress that machine um, the most in the shortest amount of time and not overstress it um, so that I can, you know, then, uh, so that I can overcompensate and be better the next day. Right. Um, those exercises tend to be the exercises that people don't want to do because they are very hard. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. this is why you have people running on treadmills and, you know, doing uh, bicep curls and, and things like that, that may be quote unquote fun to do, but they're not as effective as say deadlifts and dips and overhead presses and heavy carries mm-hmm. uh, and, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, those are very, very difficult to do. And they're also very, very effective. Mm-hmm. yeah like the human from the perspective of survival then the body doesn't want to expend effort to build muscle etc it's always trying to conserve as much energy as it can and uh, yeah like you said those exercises yes, are, the, are, the, are, the, are, the, are the most difficult ones <laughs> right they are the most difficult ones and um and yes the body will only respond to demand mm-hmm. you know so so you can do these lighter exercises you can do these and, and that's and I'm not poo-pooing those just out of pocket. There is a place for that type of, of yeah. exercise. Um, you know, there, there is a place like very, very high rep exercises are good if your goal is um, tendon strength and ligament strength. Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of the only way you can hit in. And you need that tendon and ligament strength to support heavier loads. Mm-hmm. You know, so all of this, all of this has a place. And I always say there's, there's no bad exercise or bad methodology, but there's bad application. Mm. So you really need to know what your goals are and how these exercises fit into your ultimate goal. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, some people may take it the uh, they may take it to the opposite direction too far. Like okay, they okay, I have to do this high intensity exercise all the time. I have to push myself to the dirt, and that's where they hit like this adrenal burnout, etc. Right. Like, it's it's a matter of context and it's nuanced. Like. The light exercises are also good, like I said, for the tendons. And I wouldn't recommend to do like some massive, uh, I don't know, massive uh, biceps curls with 
huge loads because right. the because the tendons are very you know vulnerable to those loads. So in that case, I would actually prefer slightly lighter loads, but like more reps and uh, etc. But you know, yeah, like it's it's people may take it you know taken out of the wrong context. Well, that's what that's what people do, right? See, <laughs> they do it with they do it with exercise, they do it with diet, they do it with just about everything, right? People people like to go to extremes. Um, they like an answer to be black, black or white, yes or no, this type of thing. And nothing in life works that way. Um, everything is nuanced. Um, you know, from a, I'm a kind of a a student of Eastern thought and it's, everything comes down to the middle way, right? Mm -hmm. There's always nuance. There's always the right answer is generally in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And not a yes and no and black and white. It's, it's in the middle and in strength and conditioning, it's a mix so I, yes, I still do very high repetition exercises on occasion when I have the time. And that is for a particular goal of maintaining the health of my, of my tendons and ligaments. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not to put on muscle mass. It's not to do anything other than to support my connective tissue so, so, so that I can support those heavier loads in the big exercises later on. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just all a repeating pattern. Mm-hmm. So you're more more of a proponent of like high intensity training, uh, but, but have you heard of uh, Doug McGuff's book Body by Science? Like he prescribes he he prescribes is also the very intense once a week uh, workout where it goes into full failure with all the ma- major lifts, and then you don't really do anything uh, the rest of the week. Uh, what do you think? Right. About that? Well, I, I appreciate where Doug is coming from. I'm a, a a very very good friend of Doug. Doug and I have had uh, conversations about this for many times, and you know, it, and again, uh, Doug and I can disagree on some things and that's cool. Um, we still love each other. We're still really, really good friends. I would, I would disagree with him that most people would benefit from that type of, of workout. Is it better than not working out at all? Absolutely. I'm totally 100% on board. And some people are even more time stressed than I am. And for those people, that might be a great uh, modality for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Personally, I think the human body needs to be stressed more times throughout the week um, if it's done smartly. Um, I am a proponent of high-intensity interval training or what I call high-intensity interval resistance training, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is very, very effective. But I think it can be done, um, you know, more like five, six days a week versus one day a week if it's done smartly. And I personally, I... I, I am someone who likes to move every day. I think it's very, very important that people move every day. Now that doesn't have to necessarily be uh, weightlifting. It could be a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I, if you look at a, a typical week of how I work out, um, I gener- I move every day. That's seven days a week. I'm doing some kind of movement six days a week. It's generally pretty high intensity, but I rotate through. Mm-hmm. thing. So uh, today, for instance, was a, was an upper body um, lifting day. Um, the day before that was a lower body lifting day. And the day before that was a sprint heavy day where I did uh, running sprints. Um, and I did lots of body weight uh, bar work like dips and muscle ups and things like that. Nice. Um, I, I ride my bike pretty much daily. Um, and it's not just a bike, it's a fixed speed bike. So if, mm-hmm. if any of your listeners are, are familiar with what a fixed speed bike is, it is, it is a bike to where the, uh, the pedals are, um, how can I say locked to the <laughs> rear wheel that, that way that if, if the bike is rolling, the pedals are moving. So you're either applying uh, pressure or you're resisting, uh, mm-hmm. torque on the back wheel. Um, so your legs are constantly in motion if the bike is rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it, it is a, um, an acquired taste. I'll just put it that way, but, uh, it, it's an excellent exercise as well. So every day I'm doing some kind of movement and, and for me, that's as much for physical health as it is, um, emotional health too. I yeah. just, I, I feel better if I move. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree as well. Like movement is life, so to say. And, uh, it is. Yes. and a higher frequency tends to be better for not only like muscle protein synthesis and muscle growth but also i think for general longevity so to say that if you are like stuck in right. a very sedentary lifestyle throughout the entire week and then you hit it hard for just one day then you're not really getting the benefits because like according to the 80 20 rule then you're spending the majority of time being in this 
unoptimal state and you're right. being sedentary. So yeah, definitely like I prefer to have like at least a few more of these uh, frequent workouts th- throughout the entire week. And I like to do something every day, at least like even if I'm not like lifting weights every day or doing resistance training, then I'll have like a slightly longer hike or something or I'll ride a bike or whatever it is just to get like the blood flowing. And exactly. they're, they're going to break the pattern of this uh, modern uh, lifestyle. Exactly. And I, you know, I, I always say that, that as a species, we evolved as, as um, habitual movers, like we had to move every day. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so we, we were obligated to move and we were opportunistic eaters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we ate what was available when we could get it. Now, our, the choices of what we ate um, during the pr- most of our evolutionary um, life it has been very, very limited. Yeah. (laughs) And we ate like any other organism according to optimal foraging theory. Mm -hmm. Right. So what, what our digestive uh, system was set for uh, proteins, fats, and limited carbohydrates. And that's what we consumed. And we, we prioritized fats, especially because that was the most bang for the buck. And um, we could expend the uh, least amount of energy for the most amount of calorie return. Mm-hmm. Um, and every living organism on earth operates under that theory, everything, mm-hmm. everything from the bumblebee to plankton to whatever operates under that theory. And to think that we are divorced from other life forms on earth mm-hmm. is, is kind of crazy. I mean, we are, and we still operate under that. And that's, you know, whenever I have uh, discussions with vegans and vegetarians or, or whatever it is, I always come back to that. And I appreciate that someone could be a a vegan vegetarian for uh, maybe uh, religious reasons or ethical reasons or or what have you, but um, they can't deny optimal foraging theory because that applies to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, I think of, I think the, one of the quotes I've heard about uh, like human hunter gatherers is that like man has spent nearly like eight ninety or like 95 percent of its history as a hunter-gatherer and a, as a forager so like our physiology is just you know, adapted to this way of eating and this way of living and the shift from uh, this type of ancestor living into this modern world has happened too fast and our body just isn't you know it hasn't readjusted itself and therefore we still have to honor some of the principles of this uh, paleolithic way of living and you right. know, being like a caveman in a, in a modern uh, world. Exactly. And that, you know, really that is the whole underpinning of paleo effects is to, to educate people on that. And paleo effects is not just a diet and exercise conference. Um, we have, uh, there is lots of diet and exercise to be sure, but there are five other pillars that, that we think are very, very important for optimal human thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, those being, you know, emotional and spiritual and financial and tribal and, uh, community, these types of things are very, very important too. So at Paleo FX, we explore all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say the, you know, the bedrock foundation is diet and exercise for sure. We for yeah. sure need to get that dialed in before we, you know, before we can ever look to optimize anything else. Yeah. Can you talk about uh, more of these uh, pillars? Like, uh, what does what does it mean to be like paleo and uh, living this lifestyle? Right. So, we um, optimization is um, we want to place each individual in a position to where they can thrive. Um, I often tell people that you know, seem I'm not a, a specialist in anything other than strength and conditioning, mm-hmm. and strength and conditioning, and I would even focus that down more. Um, on people who are high performing, right? So that, that is my area of expertise. But I have to go to a world of people outside of me that know much more than I do in these other areas of specialization, such as yourself. Um, and really, that's how Paleo FX came to be, is I was someone who just knew a lot of people. It's my natural impulse is to network. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had this um, pool of people who I would go to in these various specialties if I had questions in those various specialties. And um, I would take what they had to say and I would synthesize it down to daily actionable steps that either I could take or that I could hand off to my clients and they could take. Um, and 
after a while that that's really what how paleo fx came to be it was like you, you know i i put myself in the place of an attendee mm. right an attendee at paleo fx is is i would say a highly educated lay person mm-hmm. right they're, they're not a specialist per se but they're highly educated they they know and can uh information as it comes in and they know it's credible right and that's kind of that's kind of where i am and we created a show, really, Michelle and I, uh, my wife and co-founder of Paleo FX, we created a show really for us, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? As if we were the attendee, who would we want to see? How, what are these areas of life and who are these experts that we would, that we would personally ask um, to bolster these, these pillars in our life? Because mm-hmm. more highly functioning. And that's really how Paleo FX came to be. So, uh, for instance, just on um, the tribal aspects, right? What does it mean to create a a tribe that makes you emotionally strong, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's very very important because in this modern world, even though we're more highly connected than ever right now, we've lost personal contact, mm-hmm. and um, we've lost uh, the need to have people in our tribe. Uh, both look after us and us look after them. And that, that is just a very, very basic human need that we're starting to divorce ourselves from. Yeah. And, and the result of that is you can see a rise in things like PTSD, um, uh, uh, emotional distress, um, suicide, all of these uh, self-hurt uh, types of behaviors. Mm-hmm. All of these are on the rise, and why is that? It's because we've lost a large part of it is because we've lost that sense of tribe. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, we can look at zoo animals, and if a zoo animal is not cared for and not put in the proper environment, they too exhibit this same behaviors. They mm-hmm. they start self harming. They are depressed, um, it, which is very very interesting. So we could look at a zoo animal that's going through these same behaviors and go. Um, oh, that, you know, it's not in the right environment. We need to change the environment, change the food, put it in its proper, uh, um, you know, e- ecological niche and replace that into the best we can while it's in captivity. It's, that particular animal will thrive. Well, the same thing happens with people. Yeah. Yet we're kind of blind to that. Mm. Um, so part of Paleo FX's mission is to, to shed light on that. Mm. Yeah, like uh, health isn't just diet and exercise. There's uh, the social aspect is a massive part. And uh, yeah, like like even some recent studies have shown that people with like, you know, better social connections tend to live longer. Whereas those who have like, you know, poor or toxic relationships, then uh, I think it was like, it's equivalent of like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day or something like that. Something crazy, like like a headline. Uh, But yeah, the main idea is that yeah, social social and emotional you know um, trauma or feelings they have like a physiological effect on your body that actually affects you on a like yes, a vis- visceral level they're, they're, they certainly do and if you're if, if your listeners would if the best book that i've ever read on this subject is tribe um mm. it's by sebastian younger mm. and uh in that book he talks about uh depression especially in soldiers and and the reason that that really hit home for me is when, when I, I spent nine years in the military and much of that was being deployed and I, it, it, it's an odd thing with, uh, with the military where, where when you are deployed, it's usually under the worst conditions you can ever imagine. And the only thing that you can think about why you're being deployed is going back home. Mm-hmm. Right. That's always, that's yeah. always like the carrot in your mind that, you know, um, it, it, at the time I was in the deployments were six months. Mm-hmm. And sometimes longer than that, and we would actually uh, um, the the beaded chains that uh, that dog tags hang on. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm explaining this correctly, but every, but we would get a um, hundred and a, a chain that was 180 links long, 180 beads, and every day we would like with <laughs> yeah. clips clip off one bead, and that was like our countdown when you're when you're on deployment. Um, but that, uh, but an odd thing would happen whenever, whenever you did go home, and you were away from your unit, you fell into this depression. Right. And I, and I always thought it at that time. Of course, I was younger. I didn't know anything about tribe. But, you know, I didn't, it, it, I didn't know much of anything. But I, but I, 
I thought I always thought at that time that I must be crazy. You know, why would anyone be depressed when they're home? And why would you have the urge to go back to the hellhole that you were in? I mean, it just didn't make any sense to me. But now I know what that was is when you're on deployment, you are surrounded by guys who you trust your life to and they trust their life to you. And you have to function as an organized unit to be able to make it through. Mm. And there is a very tight bond there. And that bond eclipses any kind of religious color, any kind of barrier that may that may, you know, artificial barriers between us, mm-hmm. those fall away. Um, you're just another, you're just another guy over there who is, um, that you've life in my hands and my life is in your hands. And that's very, very powerful. And when you think about it, that was the way life was as a hunter gatherer. Yeah. You had to have these, these very, very tight knit groups to be able to make it through. Um, so now we've, we've evolved into this, you know, this type of lifestyle. It's very, very comfortable. Yes. And there are so many advantages to living in this, in this time. But one of the disadvantages is not having those tight knit tribes like that. And, you know, to the extent that we can recreate that somehow is only to our benefit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, if people are put through some sort of a struggle, like for example, like in the military, <laughs> and then yeah, they definitely become more closer, and it, they become like a second family to these people. So yeah, it's a it's a quite fascinating thing that in a way it makes sense from the evolutionary aspect as well that if you didn't care about your tribe, so to say, or like your war band <laughs> or your hunter gatherer right. group, then you would like. You wouldn't have skin skin in the game, so to say. That you would maybe just abandon them, and uh, like then you would also be, if you were alone, then it would be more harder for you to survive. Versus if you had like these a band of buddies with you all the time, then it's much more likely, exactly. to, much more likely that you like uh, hunt down these big animals as well as like endure the uh, elements and just yeah, survive. Right, and it's just hardwired into our physiology. Um, into our central nervous system. That's just a, a part of us. Um, and again, Sebastian Younger explains that and gives uh, gives uh, different examples of 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 how that works and why that works. And I I really wish I would have had access to that book when I was in my when I was in my twenties and I was serving in the military. I wouldn't have thought I was so damn crazy. But <laughs> now now I now I get it. I'm still crazy. Yes, but, <laughs> but maybe. Maybe not in that respect. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's pretty good. Uh, but you know, given that uh, Paleofix has been running for you know so many years now, like you've you've also built a massive tribe of people who are interested in this type of thing and are wanting to improve their health and share it with others. So, how do you you know keep innovating <laughs> the events, so to say, that you that that people would want to come back every year? What, right. What, I think... what are some you know tricks up your sleeve, or what are you planning for the next year? Well, I think that uh, every year we the the show itself expands, right? Every year. So the first year of the show in 2012, we had uh, 800 attendees, mm-hmm. uh, which which is pretty good. So it was about the same size as the Health Optimization Summit that you saw, mm-hmm. um, about that same size. Um, this year, this April, um, was our eighth show, and we had over 8,000 attendees. Mm, wow. So the the increase in attendees is exponential. Um, the size of the show has grown exponentially. We started off the the uh, first year, the first year of Paleo FX. We had maybe ten or twelve vendors on our expo floor, which is just very very small. Um, last year we had 154. Um, and so you know the show is both a a place where attendees can go for information. Um, we have five stages that are running simultaneously, and again, it's it's very very high level speakers on each of these seven pillars. Mm-hmm. So we have conversations going about uh, about exercise and movement, and we'll have talks about, of course, every aspect of diet you can imagine, every aspect of biohacking, um, every aspect of spirituality, emotional health, uh, tribal health. We have panels on these subjects. Um, so that all is going on. And on, on our expo floor, we have done a very, very good job of curating who actually gets to be a vendor on our expo floor. 
Um, if you're a, if it's a food vendor, there are a list of 70 some odd banned ingredients that if, if, if that food product has one of these banned ingredients in it, it does not come on the expo floor. Hmm. It's absolutely. So, so we've positioned ourselves as kind of a, a, an approval stamp. So hmm. you can be sure that everything on that expo floor that Michelle and I have personally approved nice. and, and whether that's a, whether that's a food or a technology or something of that matter, each one of those has to pass our, pass our check. And, and believe me, very, very early on, we had to turn away a lot of money from companies who we did not think were, were worthy of being on our floor. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's finally paying off, but it was very, very mm -hmm. tough early on to turn away, uh, to turn away money, especially uh, events are very, very hard to put on. Yeah. Um, just the return on investment is just not there for a long period of time. And we're only now at a point where we're, Paleo FX is fairly comfortable, um, but I can tell you the years prior, it was it was touch and go. Um, events are just very very difficult, and so to turn away money from a company who who is you know waiting to write you a check and to turn them away because their products don't meet your standards is is hard. But we thought you know if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right, yeah. and uh, so yeah, so people can expect that. I think the biggest thing that our attendees tell us is. They come there, and, and again, to go back to the tribe thing, I hate to keep, I hate to keep, you know, just beating on that, but people love tribe. They love to be around like-minded people, mm -hmm. and this is the one time of year, in the U.S. anyway, that everybody who thinks in this way, who considers personal development to be not just diet, not just exercise, and not just mental and physical but the, at everything combined, it's the one time of year that they can come together and mix and mingle hmm. and have a good time. And I would just say too, that the, uh, the after parties are pretty spectacular. <laughs> I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say that because I mean, that's part of, uh, of a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people who are very, very healthy want to have a good time <laughs> and you should, I mean, you know, life isn't all work. Life is, life is play too. And that's very enjoyable to, to, you know, to play with your, to play with your friends, all your healthy friends. Yeah. And like the, you know, healthy people, they can actually afford partying, so to say, <laughs> that, their health right. is, that, that their health is actually in check, so they wouldn't suffer like these massive, you know, health consequences from, you know, staying up late or drinking something. So it's kind of exactly. funny, that, kind of funny right. that, kind of funny that the healthiest people actually would be the most fitting to party versus the right. majority of the population isn't. Right. Well, it's, it's very true. And it, it, it's, you know, every, Paleo effects, yes, but every health conference that I go to, the Health Optimization Summit, um, the healthiest people are also the people who like to party the hardest, the hardest, <laughs> and, it, and and you can see why they they, you know, it, it's an expression of health, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I, obviously, again, if you do that all the time, um, you're going to ruin your health, right? And it, it's all a balance, you know. You you pick your you pick your times and generally those are times that you're around other people that you really identify with. And then, yeah, you can go out and have a great time. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. that's awesome. Uh, I haven't been to paleo fix before, but uh, I'm going to join in on the next year. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be absolutely pre pretty awesome. It's going to be, yes, it's going to be awesome. And you will, uh, you will give me a high five for the after parties. They're going <laughs> to be epic. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you mentioned like health optimization and uh, biohacking. So how does, you know, biohacking fit with this type of paleo way of living and ancestral principles? Sure. We, you know, s some people have a misconception of what paleo is, right? And when they, when they hear the term paleo, they think that, um, that we would advocate for, um, going back to the cave and spear. Right. you know, and, and living a life like that and, and any further from the truth. Um, what we do advocate is you have to look at this, this human machine that you, that you, in, that you inhabit right now. Right. And this machine takes certain input for it to function properly. Mm -hmm. And much of that input is stone age, right? I have to right. move every day. 
Um, I have to eat properly. Uh, you know, I have to sleep. I have to do all of these things that don't necessarily fit in well with a modern lifestyle. And that's fine. I can find ways around that. In fact, that's what paleo FX is. What we, what we advocate is, is getting the most out of this modern age while still honoring your stone age heritage. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and that, and that's the balance again, that's, you know, it's all a balance. So while, you know, just personally, while I have access to pretty much any kind of motorized vehicle I want to, to move in, um, you know, to commute in, I choose a bike, mm -hmm. right. Or I walk. Why? Because that, that's what my body needs. Now I have access to that type of transportation if I need it, if it's raining, if, if whatever, if, if something happens and you know, where I need to commute is just way, way, way far out of the way. And I, and I can't get there by, by, by my bike, but I try to always defer to make my human body move. Right. And that, that's just, and that's a constant, that's a conscious choice that I have to make in this day and age where it's so easy just to grab the car keys and go out and drive everywhere that I go. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just one example. Um, I, I think it's, you know, we have access to so much information now, which is just, it's fabulous. But at the same time, we have to apply that information accordingly. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, and again, it's all a balance. It's just all a balance. So here's something that's, I, I think that's very, very interesting that kind of illuminates the idea of, of living a stone age life with, um, with the advancements in technology that we have. So I, I found out recently that, uh, about last year, I found out recently that I had a APO three slash four allele. Hmm. Um, now what this allele does ironically is it makes those who have that allele not be able to handle saturated fat all that well, mm -hmm. which is rather ironic for the guy who puts on paleo FX, right? <laughs> where, right. where the, you know, where we say, Hey, you know, it doesn't saturated fat doesn't matter. It's all fine for you. And I still believe that if you do not have this particular genetic predisposition, right? Um, what this, and I'm sure, you know, and your listeners know, um, this predisposition um, predisposes you to having problems handling saturated fats, mm -hmm. um, which may increase my chance of heart disease um, and especially Alzheimer's mm -hmm. um, or any kind of mental dementia. Now, that's bad enough, but I also played combat sports throughout all of my youth, right? American football is a very brutal sport. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, kickboxed, you know, that's a, that's another brutal sport. So I took, um, headshots <laughs> like, I can't even imagine the damage mm -hmm. that, uh, that I did to my brain and I'm already predisposed, predisposed to, to, um, you know, dementia. Mm -hmm. So I really have to watch my diet. Right. I really have to dial it in. Well, what does that look like practically? For me, it looks like a Mediterranean keto diet, mm. right? So I'm still eating high fat, um, but it's a very low and saturated fat. Right. Um, so, you know, that's just one aspect of being able to leverage modern technology and still honor my Stone Age, uh, my Stone Age physiology, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The more information we get, the better we can leverage and we can move on and live our lives like that. So... Yeah, that's just one example. Yeah, yeah, it's quite uh, fortunate in a sense that we have, you know, technology and we have access to nutrigenomics and epigenetic information, so to say, that we know how different lifestyle habits affect us and what's actually like the most optimal thing for our own physiology. Because yeah, everyone has different genes, everyone has different lifestyle factors, and everyone has different yeah, conditions that we all have to you know, keep in mind. So yeah, right. that's that's why it's really awesome to see that with you know the idea of biohacking you can kind of just start to take more personal care of, of yourself and you can customize it to your own situation right right and and things like um utilizing certain peptides um I, i'm not sure if you saw dan stickler's talk at health optimization uh, yeah, um, yeah so uh dan is my personal doctor mm-hmm and, uh, you know, I'm lucky to have access to somebody that like that because, uh, 
Dr. Stickler's idea of health is, is not just health, but optimization. Mm-hmm. So he's a doctor that I can work with who's not just, you know, who, who isn't just worried about my baseline health. Yes, he is. But once baseline health is established, he's like, how can we optimize now? And mm-hmm. he's constantly, he's constantly questioning. Um, one way to optimize health, especially in my case, is to use certain peptides. Mm-hmm. So f- for instance, um, right now I'm on a, uh, I'm on a cycle of, uh, epitalone mm-hmm. and, um, oh God, what is the other one? Uh, cerebral liacin. And, uh, both of these peptides have been shown to add longevity. They have mm-hmm. longevity value within the human body. The very good thing about peptides is there's very little side effect. Mm-hmm. So the peptide in their, in their, very directional and they're pinpointed. This is the way medicine is going to go in the future to right. where, you know, the, uh, the pharmacological routes that we take now are, are kind of like carpet bombing, mm-hmm. right? There's, it, it, there's all kinds of side effects that we don't have a good handle on. The good thing about peptides is there's very little side effects. They either work in a, in a certain um, genetic milieu or they don't. Mm. So, the, so the side effect, the negative side effect would be, well, they just don't work for you. Yeah. But when they do work, they're very, very pinpointed. Yeah. Um, so that, that's another example of leveraging modern technology. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've also seen like the promising uh, effects of peptides. So to say that they're going to be like the future anti-aging as well as just performance drugs, so to say, but they're not like real. They're not like steroids or something. They're just right. natural hormones that your body produces in a synthetic format, so to say, then yeah, they could be applied to like, many different situations like growth hormone or even melatonin and uh, just gut health and that sort of stuff. Right. Right. Um, th- there is another one that I take that, uh, uh, melanotan, hmm. right? So I'm very, very fair skinned, although I spend a lot of time in, uh, um, very high sun situations, <laughs> I would say, um, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I, and I live um, in South Texas, which is, um, you know, you can get, as a fair-skinned person, you can get sunburn. Well, we, we know the dangers of sunburn. Right. Um, melanotan is a peptide that I take that, that forces my body naturally to, to produce uh, melanin. Mm-hmm. And that's a natural, and, and by taking this peptide, that is a natural protective for me because I do spend a lot of time outdoors. And I don't want to use sunscreen because of all the toxins that are within sunscreen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and I, it's healthy for the human body to, to have sunlight, right? But it's, it's not healthy to burn. Well, melanotan is a, it is a way by which I can maintain a healthy tan. And it's, it, it's quote unquote natural. It's my own melanin, uh, but it gives me a natural sun protection, mm-hmm. which is, so, and that's very, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, BCP, uh, what is it? 151, um, for injury, Mm -hmm. uh, recovery. I haven't had to use that in quite a while. Luckily I haven't had any injuries that necessitate it. Um, but every now and again, you know, I'll take a spill on my bike or I'll, um, you know, uh, pull a muscle lifting or or whatever it is. Um, and that particular peptide really helps speed recovery. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful peptide, but, um, yeah, uh, just a, another good example of leveraging modern technology. Yeah, exactly. Like we could say, it's not about becoming a caveman or going back into the Stone Age. It's about yeah, uh, you know, controlling the modern environment in a way that helps you to you know be optimal with your primal physiology. So to say. Right, right. That is the you know that is the name of the game. We have all of this, all of this information all of this technology available to us, all of these uh, biohacking technologies that we have, they're just all over the place. Um, And I'm amazed every time that I, that we curate a show, the new things that are coming out. It's just amazing to me. And it's, it's really a cool position to be in because you get to see all the cool stuff that's coming out and you get to see it early. Um, So, so many cool things. Any, any, like, uh, you know, if there's any, are there any like sneak peeks or spoilers for uh, Paleo 2020? Well, I can tell you, I am becoming a huge fan of the, the Garmin Phoenix 
Phoenix five. And I, I don't know if your listeners have seen this watch, but, um, I, I really think as far as a, uh, biometrics monitoring device that it's far and away the best. Hmm. Um, it is more expensive. Yes. Um, but it, as far as what it measures, the accuracy of what it measures, it is, um, yeah, it is the gold standard. Mm, nice. It's just a, it's a fabulous device. Um, yeah, so I'm super, super excited about that. And you know that I, I, I would guess one of the downfalls of that is that with, with these devices and all of this information, I think there's a tendency for people to live their lives by data alone. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, they tend to lose perspective on, on what feeling healthy or what being healthy feels like inside mm-hmm. their body. Um, and so when I, I no longer personally train clients anymore, but when I did, I would, I would have access to that data all of the biometrics, but I would ask them, how do you feel without looking at the data? How do you feel? Let's dial in and we'll have a discussion before we look at the data. And so what I wanted to do was for them to correlate a feeling to what this data was showing, right? Because, because ultimately I want you to live not just day to day to day, but hour by hour by hour, being able to check in with your body and see if everything's cool. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, you just ate something that you weren't, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you had dairy and you've cut dairy out for 30 days or whatever to, you know, to see if you had a reaction to it. Um, what is the best, most accurate indication that you have a problem with it, right? Is to check in, have a little bit of dairy and check in. How do do I feel? Mm -hmm. How do I really feel? Um, and I think that, uh, you know, we've, we've lost that ability Yeah, and it's being, perpetuated by the fact that we have access to all this data, which is, again, that's, that's a good part of it, having access to all that data. But do you, can you check into your own body, look at that data and know how you feel? Yeah. And I did this for a long period of time, just using um, HRV, looking at my HRV. And I would, this was very, very early on when HRV was just starting to, to be a thing. And it was, and it was uh, being able to be used by tracking and I did the same thing. I would check in. How do I feel? Then I would look at my HRV reading, you know, and over time I was way over 90% accurate, right? Mm-hmm. I could, you know, today I feel like, I feel like, you know, just going balls out and doing whatever. And yes, my HRV was very high that day. Well, great. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, I figured that out or there were days like, yeah, I need to back off. And maybe, it, maybe it, today is just a day for a, you know, a nice hike in the woods and yeah, my HRV would be low. Um, so that was good. And after a while, I could pretty much tell you about what my HRV reading was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I, I think everybody needs to get to that point. And not yeah. to use it as a crutch, use it as a tool. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, the, the goal is to develop like this intuition of knowing what state your body is in. But the problem is yeah, the other people don't have that intuition. It's been, it's been kind of not cultivated enough. And with like technology, you can build this intuition and uh, right. you, you, you can't trust, you, you can't really trust your intuition if you don't know if it's correct, so to say. And right. Right. You have, you have to, you have to develop the skills with something that gives you objective feedback because the human mind tends to be somewhat biased and uh, tends to be kind of deceiving in, in many aspects. So you need, oh, some, it does. you need some uh, quality feedback and objective uh, information. Right. And it's, uh, you know, in, in working with uh, competitive athletes, of course, if you ask a competitive athlete, Hey, how do you feel? Of course, they're always going to tell you I'm ready to rock and roll. <laughs> hey, yeah. that, that is just the answer because they're competitive athletes and they, you know, they, yeah. they understand that, uh, if they are not training, they're, they're losing a step with a competition. But um, there, there are times where a competitive athlete has to back off and recover. And you can't just continually stress the body and expect it to overcompensate. You know, there are those times where you have to back off. And to get them to look at that tool and to realize, you know, the greater goal. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe you lose the battle today to win the war at the competition. And that, that's the whole, you know, well, I think that mindset uh, should be used by everybody. There are days you need to back off and there are days that you need to just take it easy and take a stroll in the woods. 
um, yeah, because stress is stress. You know, the, the body really doesn't care whether that stress comes from a, a physical stress, a workout stress, um, uh, a fight with your spouse, uh, traffic, um, you know, bills or whatever it's, it's stress and the body interprets it as such. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, there's two different aspects. It's number one, how to mitigate stress. That's not training stress. And that's a whole other mindset pillar. Um, and then there is how do I manage the stress that I am purposely putting on my body in the form of training? Mm-hmm. Um, and that needs to be managed as well. And that's where these tools really, really shine. Um, but again, the downfall is just relying on those tools for everything and not checking in intuitively to where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, uh, point to start wrapping things up and, uh, right. Before I ask my last question, uh, where can people learn more about you and uh, your work? Um, well, you can go to Paleo Effects. That is, you know, that's that's my baby. That's the show. Um, I do um, some blogging there, um, not as much as I would like because I am so heavily involved in other things right now. Um, I do have a blog that's called Theory to Practice. Um, which is kind of my overriding philosophy. Theory is great, but um, you have to actually put that theory into practice to make it meaningful mm-hmm. and useful in your life. Um, so you can Google that theory to practice uh, Keith Norris. It'll take you right there. Um, <clears throat> I do have a, another business venture that I am. Uh, I, I won't go into it in depth, but it's an exercise. Uh, it, it, it's a motorized um, exercise equipment. Mm-hmm. line it's it's called uh phoenix llc phoenix Equi- equipment group llc um i think we will be ready to debut at uh next year's paleo fx um nice. we're just wrapping up the uh, software development right now um we've got the mechanics of the machine all figured out um but i'm very very excited about this it's a very very cool training tool i've used this tool my the past um i love it like all tools, it's not the only tool, <laughs> but it is a tool. Um, and I'm a firm believer in, you know, a, a beautiful house cannot be built with, uh, with a hammer and saw alone. You know, you need a multi, uh, multitude of tools and mm-hmm. um, this is just one. So I'm very excited about that. Nice. And Seem, I'm very excited to have you at PaleoFX next year. This would be cool. Yeah, I'm also excited for it, and it's going to be a good event. So it's it's the largest one so far, as I believe. Yes, it's uh, April 24th through the 26th um, next year, Austin, Texas. And I'll just say that Austin in the spring, that time of year, is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place to be. Awesome. We're going to leave all the links in the show notes for people to check out. And uh, my last question is, before I let you go, is... What's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you had adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? Wow. For me, early on, seem it was sleep. <clears throat> I, uh, very, very early on, I was a, you know, of the mindset that I was bulletproof <laughs> because <laughs> uh, being a young athlete, they kind of give you that, uh, that impression, right? And that's, that's the uh, type of personality that they breed, that you're just bulletproof, you're indestructible. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I had known sooner that sleep and recovery would have, uh, done me well during that time. Yeah. And it's, you know, seem it is so, so easy for people to neglect their sleep. It, it, and it is the primary, the primary mover of recovery and health is proper sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. And I know it's, you know, I know it's pedestrian. I know people, you know, don't like to hear about it. It's no fun. You can't YouTube a lot about it. There's not much hygiene you can do with it. But I, it is, it is paramount that people get their sleep dialed in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Sleep like a caveman. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Do whatever you can to get the best possible sleep you can. Awesome. And and just a real quick segue. It does not have to mean longer hours in bed. Oh, yeah, totally. Right? It can mean much better quality is really what, like anything else, you're looking for, looking for quality over quantity. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, thanks for coming to the show and uh, looking forward to meeting you again in person in Austin, Texas. <laughs>
Absolutely, brother. Have a good one. Thanks for having me on too. Yeah, I'll see you around. Bye. Yes, sir. All right. I want to remind you that you can find links to the free VIP giveaway and discount codes in the show notes of this episode at seamlon.com forward slash Keith Norris. Other than that, thanks for listening. Leave us a review on iTunes and the other podcast apps. My name is Seam. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.